Chapter 4 of Hester, A Story of Contemporary Life by Margaret O. Oliphant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anne Erickson, Toronto. Chapter 4 A First Meeting. Catherine Vernon had come to see with her own eyes that her guests or tenants had arrived and that they were comfortable. They were relations which justified the want of ceremony but perhaps if they had not been poor and she had not been their benefactor she would scarcely in so very easy a way with a shawl over her cap and at an hour not adapted for visits have made the first call upon them she would have been more indignant than any one at such a suggestion but human motives are very subtle and no doubt though she was not in the least aware of it this was true to be sure, there were circumstances in which such a visit would have seemed, of all things, the most kind, but not, perhaps, with persons so little in sympathy as Catherine Vernon and Mrs. John. She knew she had been substantially kind. It is so much easier to be substantially kind than to show that tender regard for other people's feelings, which is the only thing which ever calls forth true gratitude and perhaps Catherine had not altogether escaped the deteriorating influences of too much prosperity. In her solitude she had become a great observer of men, and women, and was disposed to find much amusement in this observation. Miss Vernon was half aware that other motives than those of pure benevolence affected her mind as she went that evening to the Vernonry. Curiosity was in it. She could not but wonder how Mrs. John was feeling, what she thought of all these changes. She was glad that her cousin's widow had come home where she could be looked after, and where it could be seen that nothing happened to her. But she had wondered above measure when her offer of shelter in a home had been accepted, not knowing, of course, anything about that very active factor in Mrs. John's affairs, who was known to the people in Redborough only as the little girl. Catherine Vernon thought that she herself, in Mrs. John's position, would have starved or worked her fingers to the bone rather than have come back in such a humiliated condition to the neighbourhood where she had held so different a place. She was rather glad to feel herself justified in her contempt of her cousin's wife by this failure in her of all proper pride, and she allowed curiosity and a sense of superiority, and her low estimate of Mrs. John's capacity of feeling— to carry the day over her natural sense of courtesy. What so natural, she said to herself, as that she should run out and see whether they had arrived, and if they were comfortable, and establish friendly, easy relations at once without waiting for formalities. Qui s'excuse, s'accuse. Miss Vernon certainly knew, at the bottom of her heart, that sorrow and downfall merited a more respectful accost. But then Mrs. John had none of those delicacies of feeling, or it was not in nature that she would have come at all. And nothing could be more substantially kind than Catherine knew she had been. She had engaged an excellent servant for them, a woman who had been in her own house, and who was a capital cook, and capable of taking a kind of charge as housekeeper if Mrs. John still remained incapable as of old. And no doubt, Miss Vernon thought, there would be a foreign bun of some sort or other to take care of the little girl. Her own maid accompanied her to the gate, then went round to the humbler entrance while Miss Vernon walked through the garden to the pretty veranda newly put up, but in excellent taste and keeping, everybody said. 
which was intended to form a sort of conservatory in a sunny corner and give the inhabitants a little more elegance and modern prettiness than the other houses afforded she had done this on purpose for mrs john who had got used no doubt to foreign ways sitting out of doors and indulgences of that kind could anything have been more kind and yet at the bottom of her heart miss vernon was aware that if she had resisted her impulse to come and spy upon the poor traveller this first night and investigate her feelings and how she was supporting the change and all the recollections to be called forth by her return she would have been far more really kind she felt this yet she came what is there in the human bosom more strong than the desire to see how the gladiators die poor mrs john was no gladiator but she was upon the point of that sort of suffering which some writhe and struggle upon and some allow themselves to be wounded by in silence miss vernon was very anxious to know how she was bearing it the daylight which had come to an end altogether in the dark wainscoted rooms inside was still lingering without behind the trees there was a golden clearness upon the horizon against which every branch stood out the stars were only half visible in the faint blue the walk had been delightful it was a time she preferred to be abroad her mind undisturbed by those cares which pursue less peaceful people yielding itself up entirely to the spell of universal tranquillity and repose but when miss vernon opening the glass door of the veranda suddenly came in sight of a figure which was quite unexpected which she could not identify or recognize she was for the moment too much startled to speak a tall girl of fourteen in that large development which so many girls attain at that early age to be fined down into slim grace and delicacy afterwards with rather high shoulders increased by the simple form of her dress hair of a chestnut colour cut short and clustering in natural rings and twists not curled in the ordinary sense of the word a complexion in which white predominated the creamy whiteness of a sanguine temperament with but little of the rose and two large eager brown eyes full of curiosity full of life evidently interrogating everything coming out even upon the twilight and the tears of departing day with her lighted candle and all questioning eyes there was so much warmth of life and movement about hester that it was difficult not to feel a certain interest in her and there was something wonderfully characteristic in her attitude arrested as she stepped out like an explorer with her candle in her hand i don't know you said catherine vernon who from her general popularity and the worship administered to her all round had perhaps without knowing it acquired the familiar ease of expression which belongs to kind and well-intentioned despots the tone of her voice hester thought who was accustomed to that distinction was as if she said chew and it depends a great deal upon circumstances whether it is affection or insult to tutoyer a stranger i don't know you she said coming in without any invitation and closing the glass door behind her i suppose you must have come with mrs john vernon it is not possible she cried a moment after that you are the little girl i am all the little girl there is i am hester but i don't know you either the girl said determined not to show any poltroonery or to veil her pretensions for any one are you cousin catherine she added after a moment with a quick-drawn breath 
Yes, I am Cousin Catherine. I came to see how you have got through your journey and how your mother is. I suppose she is your mother? It is quite astonishing to me to see you look almost like a grown-up young woman, you whom I have always thought of as the little girl. I am fourteen, said Hester. I never was very little since I can remember. And then they stood and looked at each other under the glass roof, which still let in some light among the flowers, their two faces lit up by the flame of the candle. Hester stood in front of the door which led into the house, and indeed had something of the aspect of a guardian of the house preventing the visitor from going in. There was a sort of resemblance to each other in their faces and somewhat largely developed figures, but this, which ought to have been a soothing and comfortable thought, did not occur to either, and it cannot be denied that the first encounter was hostile on both sides. I should like to see your mother, to welcome her home. She has gone to bed. She was tired, Hester said, and then with an effort, I do not suppose it is quite happy for her, just the first night, coming back to the place she used to live in. I made her go to bed. You take good care of her, said Miss Vernon. That is right. She always wanted taking care of. Then with a smile she added, Am I not to go in? I came to see if you were comfortable and had everything you want. Mother will be much obliged, said Hester stiffly. She did not know any better. She was not accustomed to visitors and was altogether at a loss what to do, not to speak of the instinct of opposition which sprang up in her mind to this first new actor in the new life which lay vaguely existing and unknown before her feet. It seemed to her, she could scarcely tell how, that here was an enemy, someone to be held at arm's length. As for Catherine Vernon, she was more completely taken aback by this encounter than by anything which had happened for years. Few people opposed her or met her with suspicion, much less hostility, and the aspect of this girl standing in the doorway, defending it, as it were, preventing her from entering, was half comic, half exasperating, keeping her out of her own house. It was one of the drawbacks of her easy beneficence, the défaut de ses qualités, that she felt a little too distinctly that it was her own house, which, seeing she had given it to Mrs. John, was an ungenerosity in the midst of her generosity. But she was human, like the rest of us. She began to laugh, bewildered, half angry, yet highly tickled with the position while Hester stood in front of her, regarding her curiously with those big eyes. "'I must rest here if I am not to go in,' she said. "'I hope you don't object to that.' for it is as much as I can do to walk from the Grange here. Hester felt as if her lips were sealed. She could not say anything. Indeed, she did not know what she ought to say. A vague sense that she was behaving badly made her uncomfortable, but she was not going to submit, to yield to the first comer, to let anybody enter who chose. Was she not the guardian of her mother, and of her quiet and repose? She shifted her position a little as Miss Vernon sat down on one of the creaking basket chairs, but did not even put her candle out of her hand or relax in her defensive attitude. When her visitor laughed again, Hester felt a flush of hot anger, like a flame going over her. To be ludicrous is the last thing a girl can bear, but even for that she would not give in. "'You are a capital guardian,' Catherine said." but I assure you I am not an enemy. 
I shall have to call my maid Jennings, who has gone to the kitchen to see Betsy before I go home, for I am not fond of walking alone. You must try and learn that we are all friends here. I suppose your mother has told you a great deal about the Vernons and me? I don't know about any Vernons, except ourselves, Hester said. My dear, said Miss Vernon hastily, you must not get it into your little head that you are by any means at the head of the house or near it. Your grandfather was only the second son, and you were only a girl. If you had been a boy, it might have been different. And even my great-grandfather, John Vernon, who is head of our branch, was nothing more than a cadet of the principal family. So don't give yourself any airs on that score. All your neighbors here are better Vernons than you. I never give myself any airs. I don't know what you mean, said Hester, feeling a wish to cry, but mastering herself with all the strength of a passion. Don't you, my poor child? I think you do. You are behaving in a silly way, you know, meeting me like this. Your mother should have taught you better manners. I have no desire but to be kind to you. But never mind, I will not say anything about it, for I dare say you are all put the wrong way with fatigue and excitement. Otherwise, I would think you were excessively uncivil, do you know, Miss Vernon said. And Hester stood, fiery-eyed, and listened. If she had spoken, she must have cried. There was no alternative. The candle flickered between the two antagonists. They were antagonists already, as much as if they had been on terms of equality. When Miss Vernon had rested as long as she thought necessary, she got up and bade her young enemy good night. "'Tell your mother that I have done my duty in the way of calling, "'and that it is she now who must come to me,' she said. "'Esther stood at the door of the veranda "'with her candle flaring into the night, "'while Catherine went round to the other door "'to call Jennings her maid, "'and then watched the two walking away together "'with a mixture of confused feeling "'which filled her childish soul to overflowing. "'She wanted to cry, to stamp with her feet "'and clench her fists and grind her teeth, she was like a child in the unreasoning force of her passion, which was bitter shame as well. She had behaved like a savage, like a fool, she knew, like a little silly, ill-tempered child. She ought to be whipped for her rudeness, and, oh, far worse, she would be laughed at. Does not everyone remember the overwhelming, intolerable shame and mortification which envelop a young creature like a sudden flame when she perceives that her conduct has been ludicrous as well as wrong, and that she has laid herself open to derision and laughter. Oh, if she could but wipe that hour out of her life! But Hester felt that never, never could it be wiped out of her life. She would remember it if she lived to be a hundred, and Miss Vernon would remember it, and tell everybody what a senseless, rude, ignorant being she was, Oh, if the earth would open and swallow her up. She did not wish to live any longer with the consciousness of this mistake. The first time, the first time she had been tried, and she had made herself ridiculous. The tears came pouring from her eyes like hail drops, hot and stinging. Oh, how she stamped upon the floor. Nevermore could she hold up her head in this new place. She had covered herself with shame the very first hour. All the self-restraint she could exercise was to keep herself from flying upstairs and waking her mother in order to tell her all that had happened. She was not what people call unselfish, the one quality which is supposed to be appropriate to feminine natures. She was kind and warm-hearted and affectionate, 
but she was not without thought of herself. Her own little affairs naturally bulked more largely to her than everything else in the world. She could scarcely endure to keep all this to herself till tomorrow. She had indeed flown upstairs with a cry of, Mother! Mother! open-mouthed, and then it had occurred to her that to wake her mother would be cruel. She was very tired, and she had been more upset than Hester had ever seen her. Probably she would be still upset in the morning if she were disturbed now in her slumber. Hester's fortitude was not sufficient to make her go to bed quietly. She was almost noisy in her undressing, letting her hairbrush fall, and pushing the furniture about, hoping every moment that her mother would wake. But Mrs. John was very tired, and she was a good sleeper. She lay perfectly still, notwithstanding this commotion, and Hester, with her heart swelling, had to put herself to bed at last, where she soon fell asleep too, worn out with passion and pain, things which weary the spirit more than even a day on the railway or crossing the channel when there are storms at sea. Miss Vernon went home half amused, but more than half angry. Edward Vernon had not very long before taken up his abode at the Grange, and he was very attentive to Aunt Catherine, as many of the family called her. He came up to meet her when she appeared, and blamed her tenderly for not calling him when she went out. "'I do not think he would have been the worse for my arm,' he said. He was a slim young man with a black beard, though he was still quite young, and a gentle expression in his eyes." He was one of those of whom it is said that he never gave his parents an anxious hour. But there was something in his face which made one wonder whether this was from genuine goodness, or because he had never yet come under temptation. This doubt had passed through Catherine Vernon's mind when she heard all that his enthusiastic family had to say of him. But it had worn away in beholding the sweetness of his disposition, and his gentle, regular life. To see him so dutiful and gentle was a relief and comfort to her after the encounter she had just had. "'It would have given you a sensation,' she said. "'I promise you, if you will come with me, Edward, I have just had a meeting with a little spitfire, a little tiger-cat.' "'Who is that, Aunt Catherine?' Miss Vernon threw her shawl off her cap and sat down on the sofa to take breath. She had walked home faster than usual in the excitement of the moment." "'If you will believe me,' she said, "'I don't even know her name, "'except, of course, that it is Vernon, "'John Vernon's daughter. "'I suppose she must have been warned against me "'and instructed to keep me at arm's length. "'To keep you at arm's length? "'That is not possible.' "'Well, it does not look likely, does it?' "'She said, somewhat mollified. "'People are not generally afraid of Catherine Vernon, "'but it is singular sometimes how you will find your own family steeled against you "'when everybody else likes you well enough. "'They see you too near at hand, where there is no illusion possible, I suppose. "'But that could not be the case with this little thing who never set eyes on me before. "'She let me know that her mother was not to be disturbed, and even refused me admission. "'What do you think? To my own house?' "'Are you quite sure there is no mistake?' said Edward." It seems incomprehensible to me. Oh, I do not find it incomprehensible. She is Mrs. John's daughter, and there never was any love lost between us. I always felt her to be a vacant, foolish creature, and no one can tell what a venturesome, ridiculous hoyden she thought me. Here Catherine Vernon felt herself grow hot all over, as Hester had done, 
bethinking herself of an encounter not altogether unlike the present in which she had enacted hester's part and exposed herself to the ridicule of mrs john though this was nearly half a century ago it had still power to move her with that overwhelming sense of mortification there are things which no one ever forgets when i heard of that woman coming home i knew mischief would come of it miss vernon said but forgive me aunt catherine was it not you that asked her to come catherine vernon laughed you have me there she said i see you are quick and i see you are honest edward most people hearing me say that would have been bewildered and thought it not possible no i did not bring her i only said to her if you are coming there is a house here which you are welcome to if you please what else could i do she is not penniless i suppose you might have let her settle where she pleased she is not penniless but she is heedless and heartless said miss vernon with a sigh and as for settling where she pleased of course anyhow she would have come here and then i never expected she would take it you thought she would come here and yet you never expected she would take it and you knew she would make mischief yet you invited her to come that is a jumble i don't make head or tail of it nor i cried mrs vernon with another laugh you shall carry the problem a little further if you please i feared that her coming would disturb us all and yet i am half pleased in my heart being such a bad woman that she is going to make a disturbance to prove me right you see i don't spare myself it amuses you to make out your own motives as well as other people's and to show how they contradict each other edward said shaking his head this little bit of metaphysics refreshed miss vernon she became quite herself again as she told him her story the little firebrand she said the little spitfire facing me on my own ground defying me catherine vernon and the very vernonry my own creation i wonder what the child could mean by it it must have been ignorance very likely it was ignorance but it was more it was opposition firm healthy instinctive opposition without any cause for it that is the sort of thing which it refreshes one to see it must have been born in her don't you see for she didn't know me never set eyes on me the little wildcat she felt in every nerve of her that we were in opposition she and i don't you think you give too much importance to the nonsense of a girl i know said edward with a very serious nod of his head what girls are i have six sisters they are strange beings they will go all off at a tangent in a moment pull a wrong string touch a wrong stop and they were all off in a moment you forget that i was once a girl myself it is a long time ago aunt catherine said the ruthless young man i dare say you have forgotten whereas i you know have studied the subject up to its very last development miss vernon shook her head at him with a playful menace and then the tea was brought in and lights as he went on talking she could not refrain from a little self-congratulation what a wise choice she had made many young men hurried out in the evenings made acquaintances that were not desirable involved themselves in indifferent society edward seemed to wish for nothing better than this soft home atmosphere her own company his books and occupations what a lucky choice and at the same time a choice that reflected much credit on herself 
she might just as well have chosen his brother who is not so irreproachable as she sat on the sofa and took her tea her eyes sought the figure of the young man pacing quietly up and down in the dim space filling the house and the room and her mind with a sensation of family completeness she was better off with edward than many a mother with her son it was scarcely possible for miss vernon to divest herself of a certain feeling of complacency even the little adventure with the stranger at the heronry enhanced this mrs john to whom she had been so magnanimous to whom she had offered shelter had always been against her she had foreseen it and if not content with this incident was so with herself End of chapter four